praise the Lord for just the good stuff God's doing. For the good things that we see him doing um, and the things that we don't even see him doing. Um, it, is, uh, it really is a delight and a joy um, to miss people when they're not here. Uh, when I was thinking about, about just our kind of team being so spread out today, um, whenever Scott and Sherry are gone, um, I feel it deeply. I know I wasn't here last week, and it was probably felt deeply. And the reality is, is that we are a church where we are kind of constantly in motion. We have a lot of people doing a lot of things. We recognize that at some point here, the McDaniels family won't grace us with their presence on Sunday morning at all, because they will be over there doing ministry. <laughs> And we look forward to that day, but we also know that's going to clean up a few pews. Um, and so we know there's some more folks we need to invite, right? And even just talking to Dan today, who invited his, his new neighbor to church, um, talking to somebody else who had also invited somebody else to church. And I just want to say that this is what we need to keep doing. We live in a community that is often pretty dark. We know that God is working. God is doing amazing and powerful things in this community. Not just through our church, but through many churches that are preaching the gospel and talking a lot about Jesus, and, and, and we love that. We love that we get to partner with a church across the parking lot and share the word, something that both I and Scott have been able to do in the past. We love that we can think about the fact that the McDaniels and maybe a few more of us might not be here at the end of the year, because they're going to be loving and serving the community, community over in Los Animas, right? We know some of our Fort Lyon people won't come here after that opens. It's way easier to go there. We know some of them might decide to keep coming here if they can figure out how to get over here. <laughs> but we live in a community that is, that is missing out. That's one of the things that I, I keep feeling as I interact with folks in our community who know nothing of God and nothing of Jesus. This week, I did a funeral for a young couple that had lost a 18-year-old baby. Day, yes, thank you, day. 18 days. And they didn't have a lot of spiritual reserves to lean on. Not that I think anybody has enough spiritual reserves to lean on in that at all. But one of the things that, that I keep happening as I meet people in our community is my heart keeps breaking because they don't know Jesus. As a pastor, I experience the same thing here in our church sometimes. As I meet with some of you and, and with some who have departed, those who are around, and I realize that we too are often missing something. We, too, who actually attend church and maybe do know Jesus, are often missing something as well, a tremendous blessing that comes from the Lord. Something that I would say is one of the greatest joys that is available to every single believer, but in my experience, very few ever take advantage of. Some of us here now today are missing out on the best chance that we have for growth in our Christian faith in our relationship with the Lord. Because the person sitting next to you, or across from you, or down the aisle from you, 
or standing up here in front of you has no idea who you really are or what you daily work through or struggle through. Some of us in this room are utterly unknown, and not just because this is your first time here, and, you know, half an hour ago, we didn't even know your name. We miss a tremendous opportunity of growth in the Lord because we are so often unwilling to share our pains and our struggles authentically. We miss an opportunity to grow. We also miss an opportunity to help others grow because it is so often when we are clear and honest about our struggles that somebody else says, man, me too, right? Every time we we have the urge of the Spirit to speak honestly about our sins or our struggles or our pains, we are quenching somebody else's opportunity for growth, but not just theirs, but ours as well. And that's what we're going to be looking at today as we get into God's Word. We are kind of between series right now. Last, or two weeks ago, we finished our almost three-year study in the book of John. We are, in a couple weeks, going to be starting, again, our summer series. We're going to be taking ten of the Psalms and working through those for the summer. And in the meantime, it was left to each one of us who's bringing a sermon, Dennis, last week, Talk to us about the the, the uh, about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. This week I'm going to be in the book of First John, chapter one, verses five through ten. And next week Scott's going to be preaching, and I actually don't know what he's going to talk about yet. It'd be a surprise for all of us. But I'd invite you to go to First John one five through ten right now. Now I will just highlight that you, if you have been to Calvary before, you have heard at least part of these words. Almost weekly, if you've been with us for the six years that we have been here, you have probably heard almost 300 times 1 John 1.9. We're going to look at 1 John 1.9 in context. We use 1 John 1.9 a lot, especially during communion, which we take every single week here. And recently, as I was studying through beyond that one verse, which is what we should always do, by the way, I realized that I was missing a context here. Not that I've been quoting it wrongly, because it's, it's been right as we've used it, but it has been missing something. So this is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. It says, This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, like I said, we've heard 1 John 1, 9 many, many times. If there is a verse of 1 John that you have memorized, it probably is that verse. 
But why are we looking at this today? Three reasons. The first is that we use this verse almost weekly at Calvary, as I already mentioned, which means that we should really know what it means. <laughs> right? If, if you are going to repeat a verse over and over and over again, if you all are going to hear it over and over and over again, then you all and I all should know exactly what this verse is telling us. The second reason is because I've been meditating on this passage and a few others with it for a while now, and it's time to share that. It's time to bring that in. The third reason is because I do believe that some of us are missing this full opportunity of growth and blessing from God because we have missed what it means to confess our sins. We have missed what it means, and my aim is, is to correct that today. The fourth reason why we are looking at this verse today is because one of the hardest things I have to do is choose what to preach on a day that we are outside of a study and I don't already know exactly where we're going. It's hard to say, all right, of all the needs of the church, what's that one thing to speak on? What's that one thing we all need to hear? See, most of the time we study verse by verse through a book, which means when I sit down to do my sermon prep in a week, I open it, I read the passage that I know I'm going to be preaching, and I do study, and, and I get into it, and, and it's great. And it's a different thing when you don't have that. It's a joy to, to have that, right? It means that I can't ignore anything in Scripture, because as we get to it, we're going to cover it. But it also means I don't hark and larp or, 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 or just, you know, yell on the same thing every single week, right? I'm going to preach the passage, but it also means that, that sometimes we just kind of go for it. A sermon like today, I, I pray, is one that's aimed truly at your heart for the very reason that God has led me to it. That's, that's my prayer. So let's get into our passage here, and we're going to start with verse 9. We're going to start here with verse 9. Let me read this again. Most of you have heard it, but let me just start in verse 9 again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's familiar. But there's some things we maybe don't think about when we say this for communion. The emphasis then is on our confession and on his forgiveness. So there's a couple words that we don't even, may, may not even notice are there. The first is the word faithfulness. Right? Is he is faithful. The second word we're going to look at is just. He is faithful and just. And this is really important for understanding our passage. For understanding this one verse as we think about we do a thing, right? It says, confess your sins. This is a command that is given to every single one of us as Christians, that we would confess our sin to the Lord. And if we do that, something will happen, right? The something that will happen rests on the fact that God is faithful and just. His faithfulness means that he doesn't change his mind. It means that he doesn't respond differently today as he did yesterday, or he will later. See, it doesn't matter on any given day how God is feeling, 
or what's going on in his world, right? He will respond the same way to the same thing every time. This is so incredibly unlike us. I think about my own parenting, my own husbanding, <laughs> right? My own church leading. I mean, and there are days when things are going really well, and I am one person. There's days when things are going really poorly, like last night, when I'm a different person. And the kid, the, the, the man that my kids adore is not always there. Sometimes they're, I'm the man they fear, right? There's the attentive husband, and then there's the failure of a husband. But God's not like that. He's faithful. He is not changed by the whims of the world and the things that are going on around. He is the same. And this is really good news because it means that when we confess to him, he will do the same thing every time, right? Somebody comes to me and confesses that they've hurt me or sinned against me in some way, and most of the time I will probably be like, oh man, you know what, let's work through this. I forgive you. We're going to be able to do this. But we know there are those days when I'm going to be like, you did what? Right? That's not God. That's not God. He's faithful. He reacts the same way each time, which is why whenever we take communion, we say that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us because it's a promise that he will forgive us. That's his faithfulness. The second thing we need to see here is, is his justice. And I love the concept of God's justice because it's incredibly circular. Okay? God is just. What he does is just, and everything we know to be just is what he does. He reacts with justice. He justly punishes sinners for what they do. Right? If you've ever opened Scripture, if you've ever read any amount of this, then you know that there are words of justice, right? That God is a just God who stands against sin, who hates sin. And that's how he reacts to sin. We know in his justice that sin must be punished, right? Now, some of us who grew up in circles that were very different than where we are today, and we didn't grow up hearing that. We grew up hearing that God is love, and that all of his, everything is love. And we sometimes say, well, if he's love, how can he be just? And if he's just, how can he be love? And we could have a whole sermon on this. This isn't where we're landing today. But let me just say that an unjust God also can't be loving. The reason for that is because when people, when humanity deserves to be punished for its sin, when evil reigns and there are victims, it is absolutely unloving to a victim to have no justice against the one who perpetrates the crime. We, each of us, deserve the wrath and punishment of God for the sin in our lives, each one of us. But on the cross, Jesus took that just wrath of God onto himself. There had to be punishment. And so Jesus takes it on. And this is where justice becomes truly beautiful. Because it would be unjust 
for those whom Christ died for, for God to just to judge further. Right? If Jesus has come forward and Jesus has laid out his life and said, I am dying in their place, it would be absolutely unjust for God to then take one of those whom he died for and punish them further. That would be unjust. But God is just. And not just just, but faithful in his justice. And so he reacts as as we who have trusted in Christ, who have been called to the Holy Spirit to believe in him and follow him and know him, he has taken on the wrath, the punishment of a just God so that we don't have to anymore. So that when we take the Lord's Supper, when we take communion, and we say, confess your sins for he's faithful and just, he will forgive you, we know that the fourth part of that, that forgiveness, is a guarantee. It is a promise built on the blood of Jesus himself. And it doesn't matter what you come forward and confess to the Lord in that moment. You could have murdered somebody this week. And your confession coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I have sinned. I have hated my brother in such a way that I killed them. His faithfulness and justice react and respond, and you are forgiven. Amen. Praise the Lord, right? Together, when when I I think about his his faithfulness and his justice, it, it lands in the promise that we have also spent a lot of time at our church thinking on and praying on over the last year out of Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. Right? Jesus always responds the same way to those who come to him in brokenness. Now, the same way doesn't mean that he's not unique in each of his responses, right? When I come to him as a sinner in deep sin, he responds to me differently than when you come having been deeply sinned against. But the promise there is that he will always receive the one who seeks him with gentleness and lowliness. Right? This just brings us back into 1 John 1, 9 to this promise. He will always respond in this way because he is always the same. We change. We are different. But he is the same. And his love for us does not change. His sacrifice for us is always enough. And so hear this. Some of you really need to hear this. Because of his faithful justice, it is always safe for those who are in Christ to come to him with confessions and in full confidence. It is always safe for those who are in Christ to come to him with our confessions and in full confidence expect and know that he will forgive us. No matter what that confession is. Whether that sin that you are bringing before him is constant or it is a one-off thing that you never would have seen yourself doing. 
whether in your head your sin is minor or major, right? It is safe to bring your sin before God and let him hear it and receive forgiveness. It also means this. It also means that because of his faithfulness and his justice, even those who do not know him yet, if they accept that free gift of salvation through the death of Jesus on the cross, those who turn to him in confession and repentance in faith, that he will, in his faithful justice, receive that person and give them new life as well. Right? The promise is the same to the believer and to the one who, who is not yet believing but who will. That if we bring what we have before him in confession and repentance, he will react, he will respond, he will forgive us. He is faithful and just, and he will forgive us. And church, just know this. This is why we repeat this verse every week. Because there is not a week that goes by that you don't sin. There is not a week that goes by that I don't sin. I don't think there's a minute that goes by that I don't sin. Okay? That somewhere in my heart, either a pride reaches up, or a fear, anxiety, or a worry that reaches up, Right? A, a trusting or a joy in something that's not Jesus. And every time we come to the table, we are meant to come new. Right? There's a reason why we say every single week, look, take a few moments and wait. Pray. Confess your sin to the Lord. Seek Him. Now, I just need to say, some of y'all like, bam, jumping up here right away. Now, if you've thought about it, if you have come before the Lord, if during the sermon time you weren't listening to me, and you were just listening to the Spirit and getting right with God, then praise the Lord. But the rest of you, take a minute. Because there's something in your life that you need to lay out before Him. And He wants you to do that. He wants you to come to the table rightly. That's why I started with verse 9. We could end here, except that we would still miss what I think so many of us miss. So let's look again at verses 6 through 7. Again, this is 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. John writes, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When John uses the word light here, he is reaching into a deep well of theological and historical background. He is reaching beyond his own words, beyond his own understanding, into the depths of other writers. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this. They, they would have been aware of each other talking about this. You, you go all the way back into the Old Testament and you see light and dark. We, we even read today in Psalm 119 that, the, that the, the word of God is a light unto our feet, right? It lights the way. John is reaching into this deep, deep, deep well of truth as he starts talking about light and dark now he's already told us in verse 5 that god is light and in him is no darkness at all and then he says look walk in the light 
as he's in the light. And he says, don't walk in the darkness. Now he's doing a few things here. And I want us to catch this well. Because he's talking about a few things out of this. The first two that we just need to latch on to is that he is saying to you, yes, Christian, that means that you should live a new life. That means that the old life in darkness should be dead and you should be living a upright, morally striving life. Right? He's not saying, hey, look, keep doing what you've always done. He's saying there's a new path. And that is Christ's path. He's literally saying, walk like Christ. Because he's in the light already. Right? The other thing that he's saying here is, is that we not only need to act a certain way as Christians, as those whose lives are being transformed, but we also need to think correctly. Right? John is reaching into this depth, and this is where this, this means. It's about our, our behavior, but it's also about our thinking. Apostle Paul says similar things. Ephesians 4, verse 20 through 24. He writes, But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Christian, we are called to a new, different, more pure life. And John says that we need to live in the light. Right? That means our lives, but it also means our minds. Some of us, man, we need our minds changed. We go through this life thinking like our old selves. We may not be doing the things our old selves did, but we are still thinking like our old selves did. We are still thinking like people who live in darkness every day think. Here's a few examples. Number one, politics will save us. I don't care if you're conservative or liberal, but thinking that politics is going to save us is an old way of thinking. When our minds are supposed to be set on the king of the universe. Right? Other old ways of thinking. Some of those things that we are trapped in from our pre-Jesus days. The lies that Satan told us about who we were or who we're not. Paul says, be transformed in the renewing of your minds. You should be thinking differently today if you're a Christian today and you weren't before. Right? The things we hope in. The things we trust in. The things we believe should all be fundamentally being changed as the Holy Spirit is working in our minds and drawing us not only in action to new life, but in thought. I know, of, I know a person who, pre-Jesus, could not read. Not a word. Couldn't read a word. Adult woman, couldn't read a word. Came to Jesus, can read perfectly fluently now. Because the Spirit worked a miracle in her life and healed her brain in an instant. That's about the fullest that I can picture in that. 
But it's a great example of how we should be striving because every one of us should go from utterly illiterate people in the ways of the, the Lord and thinking about the Lord before we're, we're Christians to being absolutely full of knowledge and understanding afterwards. Christian, I would challenge you to read. Not just this book, but yes, first this book. But one of the things the Christian faith has lent to the world, and the world has kind of taken it, and now the world accuses Christians of not being very smart, is that the Christian faith lent the world intelligence and knowledge and study. It used to be that every college, every grad school, every one of them, every hospital, were started by Christians seeking to explore the world and love people. We were meant for more than YouTube videos and Netflix. We were meant to be those who study the cosmos, who study the universe, who study the ways of God, who study the ways of humanity that we might understand them more so that we might be better at reaching them. So he says, walk in the light. And this is what he means. Okay? He also says, don't walk in the darkness. Right? The opposite of that. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. We have a pretty good picture of that. Think about who you were before Jesus, and don't do that. Okay, now if you were a dad before you met Jesus, then you're still a dad now. Right, if you were a mom before you met Jesus, you're still a mom now. If you were a son or a daughter before, you are still now. Right? If you had a job before, you, you still are that now. But every one of those things should be done completely differently after you come to know Jesus. And if you need help figuring out what that looks like for you, come find me. And let's sit down and have a cup of coffee or a soda or whatever else, and let's talk about it. Let's dream about it over the Word. Okay? So John's picture here is that we need to walk in the light, and that means living and thinking differently than we have before. But it also means one more thing, and this is the thing that I think many of us completely miss. And I want to say a couple things about what this doesn't mean before I get to that. See, the first thing it doesn't mean if we're going to walk in the light is that we are going to be perfect. Now, if you've somehow managed to become perfect, then Come have coffee with me. I would like to know how. Okay? The first thing that it means to walk in the light is to not be perfect. Why? Well, because in these chapters, in these verses right here, it says a few times that we need to confess our sin. If you're perfect, you've got nothing to confess. And so hear this really well. If you never confess anything, my assumption is that you already think you're perfect. And for that, you need to confess, because you're not. There's only one who's perfect, Jesus, the one we look to in perfection, right? See, it's not that when we become Christians, instantly everything in our lives are fixed. Some things miraculously do get fixed, right? Those amazing stories of minds being transformed, of addictions being instantly ended, of long-held sin patterns that just aren't craved anymore. But for most of us, through most things, we are going to be on the long haul of working through our sins, our troubles, our pains, our weaknesses. And so if you're a new Christian today here, maybe you, you recently came to Jesus, 
Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and this is not a habit. I just need to tell you, the best thing you can do right now is to get really used to repenting. Get really used to repenting. And I will just tell you, as someone who has gotten really used to repenting, your joy will do nothing but increase as your repentance increases. Because by about the 10,000th time, you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I did it again. Right? Or you say, Jesus, I invented a new way today to sin. And the 10,000th time that you come to him and he says yet again to you, child, I love you and I forgive you, about that time, suddenly something realize, you realize something, that, that that's what he's going to do tomorrow too, and the next day, and the next day. See, the more we repent into Jesus, the more we know that he is going to receive us really well. And the better we get at that, the more times we do it, we practice it, our joy increases. Now that doesn't mean we are, have joy in the sin that brings us to that point, right? That is not what we get. But we have joy when we realize that he will receive us. And we have nothing to fear. The second thing that this means is that it does not mean that we can give up living our lives for Jesus, all right? When we read through this, there is no room for saying, well, I know he'll forgive me, so I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Right? There's no room for that. Scripture makes that really clear, that this is a terrible idea. Romans 6, 1-4, through 4, the Apostle Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Right there are those who are saying, look, if, if forgiveness is such a good thing, then I should do everything I can to get as much forgiveness. And that means I should do all the sinful things that I want to do so that I can constantly get forgiven. And at that point, the ship has sailed and you've already missed the boat. So it's not those things, right? Walking in the light is, is not those things. But what does it include? And this is where I want to highlight and the thing that I, I need you to hear that I want us all to hear really well. Verse 7, the end of verse 7. I'm going to start at the beginning of verse 7. But it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's two things we see here that happens if we walk in the light. The first... The first is that we will have fellowship with one another. The second is that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. To have fellowship with one another. This happens because we are walking in the light. And this is the point, right? If we're walking in the light, it doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean that, that everything in our lives is going to be visible to those around us. And this is what happens when we hide ourselves. This is what happens when we miss it. We are literally walking in the darkness, right? If I'm walking through life and I'm doing my best to follow Jesus, to be like him, and I sin and nobody knows it, do you know what I'm doing? I am walking in darkness. Even though my thought was to walk in the light, I'm actually walking in the darkness because nobody sees what I'm doing. 
Nobody knows what I'm doing. See, what John is writing is here is to say, hey, look, church, live for Jesus. Live, right? Obey him. Be like him. But when you're not, you still need to be in the light. Some of us as Christians, we figured out that when we sin and we fall short of what he wants us to do, that the best thing for us to do is to hide. The best thing for us to do is to make sure nobody knows what that thing is. John is saying that's the worst thing you can do. And when we think about what's happened in our country, in our nation, in our denomination, a couple weeks ago, I talked about what it looked like for a denomination that decided to hide things. And it's heartbreaking. Things that, that could have been brought into the light before they were big problems were hidden. And they festered. And they grew. And it just got easier and easier and easier to keep it in the dark. Here from Ephesians 5, 7 through 13, again, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He writes, Therefore, do not become partners with them, for, and, and them being those who are in the dark. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Verse 13, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Now this might be a bit of a stretch to say, but if there is hidden sin in your life that gets brought into the light, it's now visible, and the text here tells us that that actually becomes light. That even those sins that we've been hiding in our lives, that we've not let anybody know and see, those things, when we are willing to bring them into the light, they become visible, and not only that, they become light themselves. How and why? How? Because God is going to use that as light in your life and other people's lives. How? Because anything that is the light of Christ shining on it is redeemed. The thing that we so often miss as the church is that it's not just God that we're supposed to take our sins and our struggles and our pains and our problems to. And some of us react so far against maybe the Catholic understanding where the only way to be forgiven is to go to a priest and hear their words of absolution and be told exactly what you need to do to find forgiveness. That we've somehow developed this idea that that means that I only take my sin to the Lord and not to anybody else. But the Bible's really clear here, right? That these things in our life are supposed to be in the light. They're supposed to be visible. If, if you and I are walking in the light next to each other and I sin, you're going to see it, right? And I'm going to see yours. And I'm going to say to you, hey, look, buddy, that's not good. And you're going to say to me, hey, Matt, no. Right? That's who we're supposed to be. That we would walk in such a way that those around us know who we are. They know what we struggle with. They know what we fear, what we worry about, what our anxieties are. 
And sometimes they even catch us before we're falling down that path. I have literally been in a room with someone as I was just starting to enter down a sinful thought pattern where a brother in Christ who knew my sinful thought pattern went like this. He was in a classroom. He goes, (laughs) middle of class when I was an undergrad. He knew exactly where my mind was going. He knew exactly what I was doing. And he knew exactly what I needed to get myself out of that room and out of temptation. Why? Because I had told him what I struggled with. Because I knew what he struggled with. Because together we were walking in the light. Right? Dane Ortland, uh, uh, the, the author of a book called Deeper, has a chapter on this. I'll just be honest, this is, this is where I first encountered this level of this. Not that I hadn't been through it before in the past, but we really started coming to life. He says this, he says, You are restricting your growth if you do not move through life doing the painful, humiliating, liberating work of cheerfully bringing your failures out from darkness of secrecy into the light of acknowledgement before a Christian brother or sister. In the darkness, your sins fester and grow in strength. In the light, they wither and die. Walking in the light, in other words, is honesty with God and others. And what we see here is that fellowship happens. And I just got to tell you, and I'm fine with this, it is unfortunate that, that Christians have just simply named the place where they have meals the fellowship hall. Or the time during the service or after the service when Christians kind of mingle as fellowship hour. Because fellowship is deeper than both of those two things. Fellowship is truly knowing each other. It's sitting with one or two or three other people and sharing what your struggles are, what your problems are, what your sins that week are. It's hearing from others that say, yeah, me too. But guess what? This is what the Lord is teaching me in this moment. And this is what the Lord can teach you in this moment. It's encouraging one another and building each other up because, man, we mess up all the time and we need each other. We need each other. Dane Ortland goes on to say this. He says, we were made to be together, to speak to each other, to share our hearts, to laugh together, to co-enjoy a beautiful flower. The pain of sorrow is doubled when endured alone, but greatly lessened when borne by another alongside us. Likewise, the satisfaction of joy is doubled when celebrated with another yet lessened when enjoyed alone. We pant for a bonded spirit with others for shared hearts for togetherness. He goes on to say, Often our idolatrous pursuits through sexual immorality, overindulgence in alcohol, or social media platform building are all simply misplaced longings for human fellowship. If we trace those hearts those heart-eroding pursuits down to their source, we would find among them other things, simply an absence of real Christian fellowship. We were made for this. And one of the things in the world, you think about the ways that the world thinks, the world thinks that it is fine to be connected through these. Right? The world thinks it's fine that we might superficially share pictures of our meals and somehow think that means you know me. But if we're going to be transformed in the renewing of our minds, we know that's not fine because he made us for something more than that. He made us for true fellowship. 
Think about all the times Jesus talks about banquets and parties. Right? We get so focused on Jesus, on getting to party with Jesus, on getting to eat with Jesus, that what do we miss? We miss this. We miss the other brothers and sisters who are also sitting at that party. Jesus doesn't invite us to a private meal. He invites us into a fellowship, an eternal fellowship, where we are truly living out what we were made to be, the people of God. Friends, I think about moments and seasons in my life when I experienced the most fellowship with other believers. When I grew the most as well. And those were moments when I was willing to lay it all on the line. To say, look, this is my struggle today. This is what I'm going through today. To be able to say, look, this is what I'm afraid of. And this is what's crushing me right now. Happened this week, in fact. And I had two brothers who were there to build me back up. So what we were made for, church. But not only fellowship, not only true fellowship, that we would know each other, but we're also told in this passage that, that, that we receive true cleansing. By the blood. Now just think about this. We, we know we go to God, we bring our sins, we have been forgiven, right? We live in that reality. I pray that you live in that reality. But there's a lot of times that I bring my sin to the Lord, and I know with my head that he's forgiven me. But in my heart, I still feel like a worm. It's in that moment that because I've shared my sin and my struggle with a brother or a sister, my wife, and they look at me and they say, I love you, that the stain actually washes away. Some of you know my testimony. Some of you know that when I came to Jesus, or actually it wasn't when I came to Jesus, it was later on when I had kind of lost Jesus and was lost in my sin and my darkness and my struggle. One of the big questions that I had as I was trying to recover from that was could God love one who had done such as this? And you know that, that if you know my story that I turned to my wife and I don't know, over the course of three or four hours, she wasn't, we weren't married yet, I confessed every single thing that I had ever done in my entire life that I could ever possibly think about. And at the end of it, she took my hands and she looked into my eyes and she said, I love you. And at that moment, I knew that God did too. But he already did. I already knew he did. But in that moment, I was cleansed. Because I was willing to bring what I was out into the light and let the blood of Christ actually wash over it because of a sister in Christ who could have looked at me and just said, I'm done with you. Church, we need someone. We need someones that we will open up our lives to and share with. Now, this is hard. I will be the first one to tell you this is really hard, especially at first and especially when you don't already have it. I will just tell you, there is nothing I can tell that man right there, Zane, I'm pointing at Zane, that I don't trust him with. Because I started small, 
and built up. And he never betrayed it. I can also tell you there are times in my life when I have, have brought something to someone and man, that was the wrong person to bring it to. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. And so how do you get started with this? First, test the waters. All right, take that thing in your life that maybe a few people know, but not everybody, and share that with someone. See what happens. See how it sits. See how they say. Right? If they look at you and they're like, dude, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I'm done. Then you don't want to ever tell them anything again. Right? But if they look at you and say, man, I hear you. Let me pray for you. Right? Then a week later, you've got something else, and you bring that to them. And you just keep pushing in on that. Right? Community is built over time. Maybe it's a, a group of two or three people that you're already meeting with for Bible study, and you've never really gone there yet. Like, you've been in the Word or in a book, but you've never been like, you know, here's the story of my heart. Start there. Those people you already love, you already trust them in some way, start there. You don't have that? Well, it's time to get that, right? It's time to sit down with some people and begin to trust, to begin to read the Word together, whatever that looks like. Take the risk and go for it. Take the risk and go for it. Become known by someone. Now, on the other side of this, let me just tell you, um, church, we need to be the kind of people that the others of us can go to. Those that can have their, those that are people are going to be willing to share and to open up with us. To do that, it means to be a lot like Jesus. Right? It means to be already walking in the light ourselves. Right? The first thing we need to be doing is modeling that. Right? Nobody is going to share something with us unless we're willing to share. And so what do we do? In that small group or in your marriage or with a friend or someone else, you say, you know, this, this is who I am. This is what I'm struggling with. You bring that out. More often than not, when I have found myself able to do that with people, what happens is somebody else says, you know, me too, but, but this. This is the thing that, that, that's really got me right now. And obviously you got two, but now you get a third person might be like, you know, and this is me. And, and it's interesting, those become the spiral that increases and I guess deep deepens, right? Be the person that shares. And others will want to share with you. Protect the people that speak with you. Right? We in the church, we love prayer requests. Ever been in that group where you're sharing prayer requests and somebody says, I just got to share this prayer request. And they share somebody's name and some private situation and whatever else. And instantly everybody at church is like, oh, I know that person. I know what's going on. And, and that's called gossip and it's a sin. We clothe it in this great language of prayer. But it's not. Right? Now, if you know that Carol's struggling, you can say, hey, we've got a, a woman in our church who's really struggling right now. We need to pray for her. Now, you might know she'd be okay with having her name shared. That's fine. But you don't need to be uh, airing that laundry. Right? You don't. 
So we take the risk ourselves. We also protect those who speak to us, right? And we act like Jesus. How does Jesus react when sinners show up with a story? He's faithful and just, and he forgives us our sins. He is gentle and lowly, and he receives those who come to him and lowers, lessens their burden. When we look at who God is, we're told to walk like Christ does, like God is. In the Bible, here's some characteristics we hear, read about of God as he receives people who are honest with him. Number one, long-suffering. It's one of my favorite uh, the- theological words. Because what it means is that God has known we sinned before, and rather than just like us right on the spot, he's like, all right, I'm going to... We're going to give him a chance. We're going to work for a while, right? We're going to carry this forward. Right? God would have been perfectly just the first time we sinned to just squash us. It's well within his rights, well within his reasons. But the Bible tells us that he is long-suffering. Can we long-suffer with each other? Right? That person comes to you for the 15th time with the same sin. You've said the same thing over and over again. Man, I love you. I want to help you through this. Let's see what the Bible says. Right? And they come to you in the 16th time. What do you do? The same thing. The same thing. Right? The long suffering. We're told that God bears, right? In 1 Corinthians 13, we're told that love bears all things. Well, Christ is the example of what it means to, to love. He is the one who bears all things. He bears with us. All right, how about this one? How about being slow to anger? Can we be slow to anger? Right? Maybe that thing was against us. Maybe it was against somebody that we loved or love. Right? We're going to be slow to anger like Christ. Are we going to be slow to speak condemnation and judgment? I love sinners, man. Sinners come to Jesus all the time. And it's interesting. Most of the time he does, in fact, point out their sin. Right? Not every time, but most of the time he does. But he does so with this amazing compassion and love that draws them out of that into new life. I think about the woman at the well. He's like, she's like, I'm going to go get my husband. And he says to her, you've had more than one of those. Right? And she goes and tells the whole town, hey, look, he told me everything about me. This must be the Messiah. Church, are we like Jesus? Not only in, in how we walk in the light, but also how we help others walk in the light. Are we like that? As we come into communion today, this is the question for us to ponder. And yes, I would like you to ponder it for a minute. To think. To pause. Look, every one of us is a sinner. If you pause longer than the rest of us, I'm not going to assume that you're a greater sinner than I am. Right? If you come up, zooming up, I'm also not going to assume that you've figured out your sin better than I have. But let us take a minute and pause. If there's sin in your life that needs to be confessed, hear this again. He is faithful and just, and if we confess our sins, he will forgive us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. If there is darkness that is in your life right now that nobody knows about, and you need somebody to know about it, come talk to me. Come talk to me. Or somebody else in this room that you know loves you? Or to a family member that you know loves Jesus? 
And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, you know what, I've never come to Jesus with my sin and with my repentance, I need to do that today, then, then right now is that time. He is faithful and just. If you come to him, he will receive you. He will forgive you. He will draw you to himself, and he will make you new. Today's the day. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for every day that you bring to us, Lord, for all gifts. God, we thank you for, for creating a church that is meant to not hide all the junk and the dirt of our lives, but is meant to bring it out forward that we might receive true fellowship and true cleansing. That we won't be left in the darkness or left in our sin or stuck. But you call us out. And I thank you, Lord, for your words in Scripture, Lord, that we can rest and trust in, for you are faithful and just. God, that we don't have to fear that you're going to respond to us differently today than you did before. We'll change tomorrow. And I thank you for that, Lord, and we thank you for that. Help us, Lord, to give our lives to you fully, to trust in you completely. Amen.